everyone. So just a shout out for our sponsor, Picture House in the Small Dark Room. They've been an incredible partner for us this um, season for the podcast. And we're just so grateful to have them. And not just because they're sponsoring, but because we really love those guys. And we're actually doing a lot of stuff with them that we'll announce later, things that have to do with some programs the foundation is going to launch. So it's, it's really gone from just sponsoring the podcast to a much deeper relationship. And I think that just says a lot about their values, how supportive they are of the foundation, of the PhotoWork Foundation, and, and how much they want to help out. And as everyone knows, I, I've been over there a lot to discuss things with them, and I have artists who print with them, work on various post projects with them. And it, it's just everyone loves hanging out over there. At the lab, It's you say lab, it sounds so sterile, but it's like this really cool space. It's on a number of floors and in Chelsea in New York. Yeah, they call it their studio. Right. And they're an incredible resource. It's a film lab. They do scanning, printing, retouching. They sell film. And of course, the book, they have a bookstore with live events. uh, And they have a mini lab where you can have prints made of all different sizes. Love the mini lab. (laughs) (laughs) They are Picture House in the Small Dark Room. Their website is ph. T-S-D-R for Picture House, the small darkroom.com. And so is their Instagram, P-H-T-S-D-R. Uh, and you can check out the Instagram or the website to see if they're having specials or what's going on at the bookstore. And again, it's, it's an incredible place to have in New York. And you don't have to be in New York. You know, you can send them in films, mm-hmm. start a relationship with those guys. They will take care of you. I promise. That's who they are. They are That's really right. committed to, to doing a great job for everyone, whoever you are, whether you're a big shot or a small <laughs> shot. So, um, <laughs> so check them out. Absolutely. All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. Hello, everyone. I'm Sasha Wolf, recording from Woodstock, New York, and joined as usual by my friend and producer, the captain of the USS May or May Not Be Seaworthy. That's the name of the boat. (laughs) I think the The, Navy might have something to say about that. The USS, hope it doesn't sink. The USS... (laughs) <laughs> Keep it in shallow water. Mr. Yeah, Michael. <laughs> Mr. Michael. Captain. Captain Michael Chauvin Dalton. Hello, Captain. How are you? Oh, hello. Ahoy. <laughs> oh, ahoy. <laughs> I actually really like the name Shallow Waters. <laughs> it's so there poetic sounding. The USS Shallow Waters. <laughs> Captain Chauvin Dalton. I like it. Ahoy, matey. Yes. How's the boat building? It's actually coming along uh, just fine. I have just a, I have everything working: lights, bilge, motor, solar panel, uh, and then I, I unfurled the sail the other day. And what I thought were just some tears turn out to be holes. So I'm going to have to order a new sail. But I'm going to try patching it up first. Uh, set sail and then uh, order a new sail before Has I uh, a mo- invest have, have moths gotten into your sail? 
it's I think it was wasps. Oh God! I think yeah, I think there was. I know I remember there was a wasp nest that I transported from New York to New Jersey. Oh, great! <laughs> and they settled into my garage for a That's summer. A terrible plan. <laughs> yes. Packing up. Yes. Don't forget yes. the wasps nest. <laughs> But yeah, uh, we'll try it out. And then uh, if I want to invest more money, I'll uh, order a sale. Yeah. Well, if people aren't following your uh, boat building on Instagram, they should because it's very fun. Oh, what, uh, what account is that under? Is it? That's the M. Chauvin Dalton account. And yep, the personal account. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's real. That's good stuff. I've been enjoying that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, Michael, we have an interesting show today mm-hmm. with a photographer who I would just say is a little out of our normal wheelhouse. He's, he's a really highly conceptual and that traditional use of that word. Artist comes out of the California conceptual school. The Robert Heineken uh, Influence uh, School, yes. Yeah, John DeVola is our guest today. And Mm -hmm. the episode's a little shorter. It's hard not to acknowledge that. Well, John is a very uh, direct, get-to-the-point kind of guy. Yeah, for sure. He... I think he's done a thousand million interviews in his life, <laughs> and um, <laughs> I tried to ask good questions, but anyway. So it's, well, it's a, the it's questions a are shorter. the questions are good, and 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 the responses are good because sometimes when John not necessarily disagreed, but had a change of mind over the career, the arc of his career, uh, that's what you talk about. You talk about how he has changed his mind on something or has evolved on it was kind of a philosophy of mm-hmm. making art. I mean, some of the more interesting things he talks about is his the way he works as a response to observation, which you wouldn't think of as a maybe a conceptual artist. Right. It's um, true. As that to, is, yeah. yeah. As opposed to having this sort of uh, intentionality of idea before you start working. Right. Right. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, John is a brilliant artist and Mm -hmm. someone whose work I really love and admire. And I'm I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to him. And I think that it's a really fascinating conversation, just a wee bit on the short side. But, um, you know, you don't want to take up too much of a guy like John DeVola's time. This is a good show for a jog. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Not a road trip. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Well, before we get to it, uh, I just also want to say that we're going to take a little bit of a break, um, Mm -hmm. a little August break, but we'll be back with you in September. Yes. Look forward to being, I'm already looking forward to being back with you. But I will say (laughs) that a little break is needed for all of us. So that's going to be nice. But we have a great Mm -hmm. lineup for the fall that we're really excited about. So, yeah, just stick with us. And we've got some really cool announcements that we're going to be making about the foundation and a lot lot of good stuff uh, when we when we come back with you in September. So absolutely. All right, Michael. Well, for now, if you don't mind, please take it away. And everybody, we will be with you soon enough. Meanwhile, have a a wonderful rest of the summer. My pleasure. And here's your conversation with John Davola. John DeVola, welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast. It's great to have you on. I'm really excited to talk with you today. Well, I'm uh, delighted to be here. 
So, John, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, we start every episode with the artist's biography as they want to describe it. So if you don't mind, please you know, tell us about yourself and, and where you were born and raised and how you got into the crazy art world. I was born, my parents lived in Venice, California, and I was born in Santa Monica. That's because they don't have a hospital in Venice, California. And uh, I grew up there for about the first seven years of my life. And then my parents moved to the west end of the San Fernando Valley near a place called Calabasas. So mm -hmm. I grew up there until I went off to college at Cal State Northridge. And I never really heard anything about art at all. When I was young, I always thought it was uh, some kind of historic thing or charlatans, <laughs> you know, painting pictures with two eyes on the same side of the head and laughing all the way to the bank. So I went off to college thinking I would be a, uh, I don't know, I think it was an economics major to start. I went off to, co to college in 1967. And there was the counterculture happening and there was the Vietnam War happening. And I was the combination of the exposure to sort of a lot of interesting people and other things at that time and my opposition to the war and the specter of being drafted. All the scripts that I thought I had going into, the, going into college just seemed absurd and I just started taking philosophy and art classes. And I had done some photography earlier. I had taken some photography classes in high school. And so I knew I knew the technology, but I didn't have any interest on it. In fact, I got a weird scholarship to study photography, which I turned down. But when I was in college, I just sort of saw new kind of ways of thinking about it and approaching it and got very interested in it. Then went off to graduate school at uh, UCLA and studied with Robert Heineken. That would be uh, 71 to 74. So it's my understanding that the Walker Evans show, the 1971 Walker Evans show at MoMA had a really big influence on you. And I just want to quote you um, to yourself. You said you were interested in the concrete reference to the world. The pointing to visual values in the world is something I took away from it, from the show. Can you talk about that? Because it's really interesting to me, and seems like it makes so much sense for the type of work you make. But can you just sort of expound on that? Well, there weren't a lot of uh, sources to look to in the uh, late 60s and early 70s in terms of photography and art. And the Museum of Modern Art was really the kind of center of that dialogue. And I did not see the show. I mean, I only saw the book, but everybody was kind of uh, affected by that. And Walker Evans was kind of everywhere. And mm -hmm. I, I think the premise of that work and a lot of work at that time was, and how that was kind of valorized or thought about, was that there wasn't a lot of aesthetic affectation, that it, there was a kind of directness of reference to the world, the material world, to the sense of what architecture meant in the United States at that time, or that there was a unique uh, kind of vocabulary or look of the United States. And actually, my interest in Walker Evans was not as mainstream as some other people. I mean, there's a very uh, well-known quote by Walker Evans, which was that uh, he didn't know what fine art photography was supposed to be, but he knew that under no circumstances should it be done anywhere near the ocean, which 
Certain, uh, right. Yeah, which sort of implies that, you know, the idea of the picturesque should be eliminated mm -hmm. and the, right. the sense of the author in terms of the photographer should be avoided, that, that there should be kind of a directness of reference to the world. And so, I mean, I was interested in that, but by the same token, at some point, I very quickly moved away from that. And the other thing that really interested me about Walker Evans, though, was that he was interested in aesthetics, but pointing to, to aesthetics in the world, which, which like he's always photographing hand-painted signs. And he's, always mm -hmm. he's always photographing buildings where some contractor has made certain kinds of aesthetic choices. Mm -hmm. And so, it's not that he's not interested in aesthetics, but it, it's more referential than uh, kind of abstract on the level of the print. Do you, I mean, I'm sort of digressing here from my notes, and but do you buy the idea of that type of objectivity that the author, in this case, Walker Evans, inner voice is not in the pictures? Well, I buy it in certain kinds of photographs. I mean, you know, the camera that points at the parking lot outside of the, you know, Walmart, that's, you know, pretty objective. Right. Exa exactly. You know, I'm not, I'm not so sure I buy it in relation to a lot of bodies of work that are defined as fine arts photography. You know, for example, new top topographics, I think, is more a kind of accepting, you know, moving from a, a pictorial kind of emphasis in earlier photography, you know, walk, uh, Ansel Adams and such, to an aesthetic that's more informed by minimalism in the aesthetics in other art forms at that time. So it's a different aesthetic, but there is an aesthetic and there is a individual sensibility that has to do with a kind of aesthetic. So it's a complicated question. I mean, to me, whether or not the aesthetic is minimal or minimalist, as in the Joe Dio, Louis Baltz, Robert Adams, that type of new topographic work, or whether it's, you know, Weston or whoever. You know, to me, once someone is making a choice, they're expressing their desire. And once you're expressing your desire, I, I, I think all things become equal. Yeah. I, I mean, again, it's on a continuum. It's like sometimes you can take a photograph, which is, you know, entirely about the information or in the world. And that's a choice. It, you know, you're choosing one kind of information as being more interesting than another. But sometimes that choice is made on basis of social importance or mm -hmm. other kind of criteria. And then, you know, but the minute you start composing, you're doing something that's more individual and subjective. So that's the beauty of photography is that it, that it encompasses this amazing range of intentions and sensibilities and criteria. It seems like you are very process. Process for you is, is extremely important. And you did an interview with David Campany, and you get to that. He, he says to you, it's sort of a statement and a question. I feel much of your work has a mysterious sense of ritual about it. It's as if you are moving through very definite procedures or steps, and the images are the enigmatic effects. And then he asks you, is that how you see it? And you said... Generally, I'm not thinking directly about effects, that a certain image will appear ritualistic or be evocative in this or that manner. If there is a ritual, it is the romantic ritual of the photographer continually venturing into the world with the mechanism. I am much more inclined to consider process and to see in certain approaches different types of potential. 
you go on. But can you talk about, you know, how you think about process? Is it absolutely imperative for you when making work that the process is something that's, you know, deeply gratifying to you on balance compared to the end result? I see myself as generating archives of images. And so I, I usually have a process, which is that I choose a place to go to and I move through that environment. And sometimes I interact in that environment. Sometimes I don't. And I make a set of these kind of impressions, which are artifacts of my literally being somewhere. Mm -hmm. And I bring back these material artifacts, these, these literal impressions of an engagement. And that's the main way I see it. And I see it, all the bodies of work is related in that I've done that over a period of time. So if you go way back to like 1971 or 72, one of my first, what I would call mature bodies of work, I photographed in the San Fernando Valley. And I would get on my bicycle and I would ride around the neighborhoods near my house. And I'd photograph bushes and garage doors and people watering their lawns and all manner of things that I would come across. And it was always the act of doing it that I valued. It was like the actual mm -hmm. activity of moving through the environment, which was where I lived, coming across people and places, and, and coming back with these material artifacts. And I would show them to people. And I was always disappointed that they wanted to, they saw them as some kind of judgment of the subject. Like, oh, aren't these houses banal? Mm -hmm. Or, oh, aren't these people silly looking? And that was never my interest. And, and so I think that's, and not that I was conscious and deliberate about it, but then the next body of work, I'm sort of literally in abandoned houses making marks and I'm photographing my own material activity in the space where the process becomes unavoidable in terms of being part of the content. So whether or not I'm doing that or not doing that, I'm interested in, again, this set of artifacts that I generate referencing my activities in the world, a particular time, place, and circumstance, you know, what they call in the art world, indexicality. And then in terms of enjoying it, absolutely, you know, I've been photographing an abandoned Air Force base the last seven years, and I just love going there and the, the state of mind that you're put into when you're photographing, this almost kind of meditative visual concentration and that's why I got into it in the first place. It's, uh, you know, it, that it was a way for me to, you know, sort of required for me to, to kind of maximize my experiential engagement with the world. I, I was always, you know, I've never smoked cigarettes, but I was always envious of people that smoked because they could like <laughs> sit on a patio and look at the landscape and they would smoke a cigarette and it slowed them down somehow to appreciate the looking mm -hmm. and somehow being a photographer for me sort of does that, you know, that's a pretty bad uh, metaphor, but uh, nonetheless, uh, there is an absolute enjoyment I get in the doing of it. And when I started out, there was no prospect I was ever going to make a living doing it. And I do remember just sitting and thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be dying and I'm going to think to myself, did I really have a kind of, experiential engagement with being alive and there's a million ways you can do that and probably a lot of them are much better and more direct than what i do but that's the one i ended up with and what i what i do a lot of your work to me has a sort of for lack of a better word 
humor in it, but it's it's very quiet. And I'm thinking particularly of the Abandoned Paintings series, which I saw at the Whitney Biennial five or six years ago. And, you know, I had gone through the, the biennial, through the whole exhibition, and, of course, it was there was a lot to love. But, you know, as these things go, there was a lot that was also quite ponderous and some things that were just overwhelming, et cetera. And then I got to your work, and I loved the work, and I was, you know, so taken with the sort of formal qualities of it, the incredible use of color, but also the the humor in it. And maybe if you don't mind, you could sort of describe what that series is for the listeners, but then just sort of tell me what you think about the idea of, of humor in the work. And obviously, I'm not talking about all the projects, but it certainly is there in many bodies of work. Well, that body of work, I mean, I, I've made lots of bodies of work in abandoned buildings. And mm-hmm. at that period of time, I was working in abandoned buildings out in the desert with an 8x10 view camera and shooting color negative. And I just completed a body of work called Dark Star, which were just these big black painted circles that I would put mm-hmm. on walls. And one day I was out by the uh, university dumpster throwing something away. I teach at UC Riverside. And uh, it was full of paintings up in the painting studios. Uh, they have some storage rooms. And when students, uh, students leave paintings there, and normally at the end of the quarter, they would come pick up their paintings. But there's always a certain number of paintings that are just left behind. So <laughs> right. the dumpster was probably had a decades full of like abandoned paintings that had just been accumulating up there. And I started looking through them and they were just kind of evocative. I, you know, I collected up a number of them and I started taking them out in the desert and I would simply install them on the walls of some of these abandoned buildings. And humor is not exactly the right word for me. Uh, you know, it, there, in that case, there's something incredibly kind of evocative for me about the, you know, like there's one particular mm-hmm. painting where I can just see somebody's trying to, to get this hand right. It's a woman's face and a hand and just just can't get it and just finally just gives up and leaves it. You know, doesn't even want to pick it up. So that's in an abandoned house where somebody's walked away. And so I don't know. I just I just find it kind of compelling and evocative. You know, in humor's sort of what happens in a, in a joke is that you sort of, you know, somebody tells a story and you're kind of running ahead in your mind of that story. And all of a sudden in the trajectory of this story, a word that should mean one thing means something else. Mm-hmm. And that break in your expectation makes you laugh, right? You know, and this is why somebody, sometimes people laugh when they see something terrible that wasn't expected to happen, happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's more looking for that kind of rupture in expectation that interests me. So, mm-hmm. and that is, I think, uh, an aspect of humor and why I think that word comes up. Yeah, that makes total sense to me. Is it moving to you? I mean, you used the word evocative a couple times, but evocative of, I mean, do you find it at all, you know, moving these these abandoned paintings in these abandoned structures? I mean, do you have that emotional feeling about that? Because obviously, you know, this is someone's work and their artistic output, their attempt that maybe they didn't feel good enough about to 
go pick up. Is there some part of you that sort of, as an artist, is sympathetic to that? Well, I'm, I'm totally sympathetic to that. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's, uh, you know, one wonders about your own work, you know, continuously. Mm -hmm. You know, one day you look at it and you go, oh, this is really good. And the next day you go, oh, man, I've been wasting my time for 50 years here. You know, it's like that's that's a condition of being an artist, I think. Yeah. Do you think that? Sometimes. Yeah, sure. How do you get out of that? You just wait for the next day when you're over it? or Well, I mean, for me, it's not super intense. You know, I don't get like depressed about it. it mm -hmm. it's, but yes, of course, every once in a while you wonder about, you know, whether it makes sense or whether, you, you mm -hmm. know, is it time to retire or, you know, I don't know. It's, well, I always say everything's complicated because everything is complicated, but I don't want to make too much of that. I'm just interested in what happens with images within the images. Mm -hmm. Like recently, like, again, I've been photographing this event in Air Force Base in the housing area, and I've been making AI-generated images mm -hmm. and placing them in the room. You know, in the AI, it's really kind of clunky and just kind of samples from all kinds of things and comes up with something. And, and just the idea of it, the idea of the source of it in relation to what I do with it, just seems uh, compelling and interesting to me. And basically, I have a, when I do stuff, I have a, a relatively vague sense of potential. And that's the beauty of photography, especially man, with digital photography. The operative action is measured in a fraction of a second. There's no reason not to try this and try that. Now, it's different with the abandoned paintings because I'm using an 8x10 view camera and it's expensive and slow. So, the slightly different kind of procedures with the two ends of that spectrum. What is your relationship to the viewer and how you think about people looking at your work? Because obviously you're sort of in this space where, you know, you've made a lot of pictures where if the viewer doesn't know, you know, hasn't read the description, there's a good chance they don't know that you've intervened in this space and made the marks that you've made. Whether it's leaving abandoned paintings, that's a little bit more obvious. But in a lot of the mark-making work, it's not clear. Or it could be unclear to someone. Do you think about that, what people's comprehension is? I'm always surprised when people don't realize that I've mm -hmm. acted in the space. Although I've, I'm always most interested in images with the line between what I've done and what was already there is indistinct. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the most interesting thing for me is where you're not quite sure where what I've done and where somebody else has done, where the where the line and distinction between those two things might be. I, I kind of expect the context to inform the reading in terms of people knowing that I've done the intervention. But yeah, it doesn't particularly bother me that somebody might see something and like it or not like it not knowing that i mean i'm totally open to that being a possibility or a, you know on the internet it's a probability you know if somebody has mm -hmm. simply taken a, mm -hmm. a piece and dropped it somewhere else on the internet but i don't that's not my expectation is that it mm -hmm. will function without that uh, awareness how do you think about you know the individual image and the photograph as an object, because in some ways, I, you know, I think of your work as being not dependent on the print as object, the way, you know, some old platinum print or something that's just, you know, a simple picture of 
a pepper, <laughs> but is rendered really beautifully in the silver or, or whatever metal on the paper. But how, how do you think about your work as an object? And I mean, it's my understanding that you, you have certain collections of photographs. So I assume that you have some interest in, in prints, but I'm just, just curious how you think about your own work as, as an object. Well, uh, you know, when I started out, being in Los Angeles, I saw no uh, original art, mm-hmm. photographs or paintings or sculptures. I mean, we didn't really have a museum of contemporary art. There was one photo gallery that was in somebody's house. It was named Ohio Silver because it was on Ohio Street. Mm-hmm. And, and so, I didn't see much in the way of, of art objects, whether photographs or not photographs. So, at some point, I just began to consider all art is fabricated to be photographed, in a sense, and then to be reproduced in books or magazines or now the internet. And I think that's still my primary default, is to be more interested in the image than the object. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, that said, I really like making prints, and I really mm-hmm. am invested in making, you know, the most beautiful or uh, evocative or engaging material print object I can, and I spend a good deal of time doing that. But at base, I'm more interested in the archive of images. You know, I've been talking to somebody about my archive, and they don't have any way to deal with the digital mm-hmm. archive. And I think of that as really as the heart of the archive. You know, I've scanned all those negatives on drum scanners. We have a drum scanner at the university. I've, everything in the last few years is directly digital. And it seems to me that that should be, you know, you know, that would be the easiest thing to collect. That's what should, people should collect. But we're still very oriented to the material aspects of photographs and haven't made much of a transition into the recognition that these images have these kind of digital manifestations that are at least of equal significance. You touched on this a little bit before about the joy of just going out and and photographing and the meditative sort of qualities of that. You you said something funny in a uh, talk you were or you were in dialogue at Nelson Atkins Museum. And you were talking about the Isolated Houses project. And you said it was the most enjoyable project that you've done, but that you also felt a little guilty doing a straight series. <laughs> um, did, were you joking around or do you really feel that way? And I, and I get it just because it's sort of minus an, an element you usually have in the work. But do you still feel that way? No, no, I, I actually don't still feel that way. But at the time, I did. I'd done a kind of conceptual piece called Four Landscapes prior to that, where I photographed out in the desert with kind of grainy black and white film mm-hmm. of those isolated houses. Mm-hmm. And I was just seduced by kind of the beauty of the light and the form of the house on the kind of relatively infinite plane of the desert. And it just seemed like a kind of conventional interest and mm-hmm. and so I, I almost had to, to talk myself into the being okay. I think I was maybe 50 at the time. And I thought, you know what? I've been doing this a long time. I'm allowed, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I went and did it. And, and in retrospect, you know, I, I, I like that body of work. I think it's an interesting body of work. I think it has more complexity to it than I gave it starting out and thinking that it might. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I had, that imp- I had that impulse initially in going that route. 
when you're getting ready to start a new series, what is that process? How much is happening upon something that sparks an idea and how much is, you know, you're sitting at home or you're sitting in the studio and you're trying to think of an idea, you're trying to come up with something? I almost never sit at the studio and try to think of something. Mm-hmm. It's usually one thing leads to another. Mm-hmm. But uh, an idea will pop into my head and I'll give it a try. And uh, in fact, I just did that the other night. I've been having, I don't know, you, you get old, all kinds of weird things start happening. I've been having an insomnia. Mm-hmm. And the digital camera, I have this medium format digital camera. And the thing is just amazing, like at low light and at night. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea that, oh, you know, it, and I'm always looking around at my environment and saying, well, what's kind of central about my environment or my experience? Of, and in Los Angeles, it's cars and freeways. And I, I thought, you know, I should just go out at night and get by the side of the freeway and and make some images. And that could be really interesting with the cars moving and their different colors. And and I went out and tried. I drove around and it very clearly wasn't going to work. The image in my head had no relationship to sort of standing there and looking at what the possibilities were. I might go out again and find another way to intersect that idea. But that's often what happens with an idea. Mm-hmm. Whereas an observation, you know, I'm, I'm in these abandoned houses and I see something and I try something and then I go home and I look at that and that suggests something else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes an idea, like I had, had an idea about the internet. And so I looked up the very first image from the internet. And then, mm-hmm. so I print that out and I take that to the house, which is, by the way, these weird, it's a, a kind of a, a band, a kind of weird Swiss band. This is the first internet mm-hmm. <laughs> image, uh, you know, because the the women in the band, uh, the, the boyfriend worked in the Swiss institution that uh, was one of the first internet locales. So you know, I'll just I just try things. I, I experiment basically. I improvise, and uh, I don't have very vivid, fixed sense of what images should be and do. You know, it it comes up often on the podcast, uh, talking to people and trying to sort of underline things for the listeners, you know, some of whom are sort of starting out and whatnot. And one of the things, you know, we tend to underline is the idea that it's, it's fine to, you know, try something and not have it work, so to speak. You know, that that's just as important as having what one would consider a sort of immediate success. But I know a lot of people are sort of uncomfortable with that. But it sounds like you're very comfortable with it, that it's fine. It's part of it. I'm, I'm totally comfortable with it. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I don't think you're just going to sit home and think up a great idea. You know, it, it's like if, right. if it's just something that exists in language, then you don't need to make an image. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's a great idea is a great idea. It, you know, it, what does making an image of it add to the great idea, yeah. right? Yeah, but once you go out to making an image, it's much more complicated and uncontrollable than that. You know, that's one of the problems with, you know, I don't know, you know, the reason there's not a lot more conceptual art being made is that it ends up about being clever, which is mm-hmm. just not that interesting. Yeah, a one-liner. So how do you know, you you said you've been working in the Air Force, um, abandoned Air Force Base series for seven or eight years, I think you said, six or seven. How do you know when you're done with the series? Uh, Well, good question. Uh, I probably, with everything, there's a point of diminishing returns, right? 
Uh, <laughs> and and uh, as in many things in life, yes, yes. indeed. And <laughs> I'm surprised I'm still working there. Now, part of it is that I, you know, I've used a lot of different technology: four by five black and white, eight by ten color, eight by ten black and white, making ASO contact prints, scans, then moving into digital, and then using colored flash, and now these AI images. So, in some ways, it's a context where I can try different kinds of approaches and ideas. So it's not just one, you know, I've maybe made half a dozen bodies of work at the same locale. It's not all mm-hmm. one, body, wow. yeah. one body of work. I hear you. But yeah. yes, there is this the deadly point of diminishing returns. One of the great things about I did an early body of work called the Zuma series, mm-hmm. the photographing abandoned house at, in Malibu. And the beauty of that is I showed up one day as they tore down the house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I guess I'm done. That made, you know? that made it simple, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, so, and I keep, you know, thinking maybe I'll show up at George Air Force Base. I'll just like tear down the whole thing. But uh, Yeah, they were all blown it up. Yeah. Well, John, I'm going to let you go. And thank you so much for spending time talking today. Really appreciate it. I know the listeners will appreciate it. And yeah. Uh, Thank you. All right, Sasha. It's uh, been a pleasure to meet you and uh, to speak with you. Thank you, John. All right. Well, be well. Have a good rest of the summer. All right. You too. So long. Okay. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is a production of the Photo Work Foundation. Executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and the associate producer is Taylor Selsback. The show is also produced and edited by me, Michael Chauvin-Dalton of Real Photo Show. Music is by J. Walter Hawks. If you like the show and wish to find out more about the foundation, please visit photowork.foundation and be sure to subscribe and review with all the stars on your listening platform.